Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have a very special guest today. He is my icon. The reason I do this show, the host of Part of the Problem and Legion of Skanks, the ice to Robbie's fire, the top <laughs> to Malice's bottom, the bail funds for Luis J. Gomez, the last living member of the Mitt Romney fan club. As he wrote in his hit song, Hit Him Up, he took five shots from the Loser Brigade, but he just took it and smiled. He is the libertarian Tupac. It is Dave. Mother fucking smell. Oh wow, that was uh that was incredible. That's the best <laughs> intro I've ever gotten. Hey, I'm gonna be your hype man, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome aboard. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I wanted to start off by asking you, how is fatherhood treating you? Is it is it as good as it seems? It's uh it's it's the absolute best, man. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, it's really hard. It's hard. It's like it's it's a a full a full-time job doesn't describe it because there's you know you're you're it's an on-call job 24 7 but it is uh i um at the risk of sounding corny i remember right after my wife uh gave birth to my daughter i just couldn't believe how happy i was i was like i'm just so happy to have this little baby and uh two years in it has never gone away every wow. every day i still have that feeling it hasn't it's not like uh uh, other feelings of happiness that kind of fade over time or you take it for granted and you just don't enjoy it as much anymore. It's just been at the constant level since I've had her every day, just feel so honored that I get to play with this little two-year-old and help develop her mind. And yeah, it's, it's, it's the best thing I've ever done. Well, that is beautiful. Um, even with the sleep deprivation or, or does your wife handle most of the midnight duties? No. Well, sh you know, the sleep deprivation thing isn't really a problem anymore. It was the first year was uh, was rough. Um, but so at first, you know, when it's like a little newborn, you know, they just want the boob. So <laughs> as much as you, you know, you try to help out in the night, but it's really it's like, hey, this is between you two. Like, I think you guys got to settle this because I'm Dave, just and then come but on. After man, there's, that, there's no differences between the sexes. I don't know what you're talking about. You're right. I didn't mean to gender my wife uh, in that series, but my, let me tell you, I wasn't gendering her, but my daughter was really locking her into a gender role. It was very, very bigoted of her from the second she came out. Cis heteronormative um, baby. Unbelievable. But then once my wife stopped breastfeeding, you know, fairly, she was like, all right, now you're, you're doing it because I suffered through all this. So now you got to do it. So then I was real, you know, yeah, the sleeping part, it's rough, but you kind of, you weirdly get used to it. Um, but that was, that was probably the biggest challenge. First year, whew, sleep was tough. <laughs> uh, so you guys going to go for round two? I, I feel like we need a, a Rand Smith in our lives. Yeah. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll keep going as long as she will. She's the one who gets to, uh, to make that decision. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm okay. trying for more. I want, <laughs> I want like 10. Oh, for real. Wow. That'd be amazing. Um, if she, if she was willing, I would have as many as she would have. Really? Well, that's awesome. Well, I, it's it's really great to hear because, you know, I'm around your age and I've had some long-term relationships, but uh, nothing that lasted. Uh, but I, I'm finally at the position in life financially where I feel like I could be 
I mean, I'm basically retired, so I could absolutely handle um, fatherhood at this stage. And now I just got to find that lady. So I'm glad you found it. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Well, go go find the lady and have some kids. I mean, why wouldn't you? The country's in a really stable place right now. Everything's <laughs> calm. It's the perfect time. <laughs> well, that leads me perfectly into my next question. Uh, I, I posted last night, kind of in my my darkest moments of black pilledness. Uh, basically stating that uh, I'm, I'm considering for the first time in my life that I might flee the U.S. entirely uh, if, if we don't turn things around really rapidly. And at this point, I'm not sure we can. Have you considered for the sake of your family and yourself doing so? Um, are you not at that point? How, how are you looking at things? Well, I mean, it's I, I'd be lying if I said the thought hadn't crossed my mind. I don't know how much serious consideration I, uh, I, I've given it, but it is... Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of considerations for me. I mean, my, my daughter's, you know, grandparents are here um, and she's very close with, with them. And that's, you know, that's a pretty important thing to me. Um, of course. But, you know, it is, it's almost, I think it was a Reagan line that he said, if we lose freedom here, that's it. There's no other place uh, in the world. And, you know, Reagan wasn't right about much, but he was, he was pretty uh, dead on about that. I mean, the question becomes like, where do you go? I mean, you know, this is uh, the, the COVID craziness has really been a global phenomenon. I mean, I guess we could we could all move to like Sweden or something like that. But I, I, um, I, I you know, yeah, I guess the welfare state isn't so bad to put up with these days. I know. Um, right. It, that's but, the one thing I've been feeling lately is like I bitched about a lot when things weren't that bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. granted, granted, it's necessary that you do so because otherwise you end up in a position like this. But I just wish I had appreciated the 90s a little bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and even, you know, the 90s, basically before a year ago. You know, <laughs> well, that, the, that too. Yeah. The the idea that this would um, even for libertarians who think about liberty versus tyranny a lot, the idea that the the government would have so quickly. Uh, been able to just repeal the Bill of Rights um, is, yeah, it's really profoundly creepy. Yeah, no, it's it's horrifying. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, like Picanonis has been saying, he felt he felt like this was kind of an inevitability, but he didn't expect it to happen so quickly. And I think that's where most libertarians were. You know, we were like, yeah, we saw the creeping, you know, tyrannical acts and things that were coming down the pipe, but it was just, just the the exponential increase in tyranny that we experienced over the past 12 months uh, has really shaken me to my core. So I wanted to ask who's, who's winning this fight for your heart. Is it, is it Michael Malice and his white pill or is it Pete Quinones in the black pill? Well, it's not I, I, like, I, I think there's a strong case for pessimism. You know, it's not that there isn't a strong case for that, but the thing about the, the black pill to me is like, you know, I was saying this with Michael Malice the other day, like, you know, you can just kill yourself. Like that is an option. <laughs> but as long as you don't, then you might as well try to make the best of what we have, you know, and who sure. knows, uh, you know, the future isn't written in stone. Or if it is, then who cares? There's no point in thinking about it anyway. I believe it's not. And so maybe there's there's a shot. And I always uh, go back to uh, the Gene Epstein case for radical optimism, which you may have heard me say before, but because I've said it a lot, um, but uh, that he was saying, you know, if you were sitting around in 1845, you know, the height of the of slavery in the West, uh, and you said, I think in 20 years, 
slavery will be abolished across the West. People would have thought you were insane. And, and you would have been insane to think that. This has literally been the pillar of every advanced society for all of human history. And there's no signs of it going away. But it was abolished 20 years later. And so you never know what great things are, you know, possibly could happen. It's, it's easy if you're in a if you're at a stadium and your your team's down 25 in the fourth quarter to be like, well, let's just pack it in. Let's leave. But you never know. Maybe you're going to be a part of that, like miracle comeback in the fourth quarter. And I, I think, you know, particularly having a, a, a two year old, I don't really feel like I have an option to not hope for the best or try to to influence you know things yeah. so that's that's it i'm a i'm a white pill popper by default yeah yeah just out of necessity i i totally get that and and when i when i view these things i don't think of it as white pill or black pill in terms of like my life i just look at it i'm kind of more assessing the state of the united states you know like it, whether or not this is salvageable and and to that i i need to ask do americans at this point have a breaking point do you think that there is a a point at which as long as they're getting their their uber eats and they have working netflix can the government abuse them to the end of the earth or or at some point do they actually fight back well it's a it's a that is the question right what will it take and uh the unfortunately we got a, a large dose of the answer over this last year of what will the American people take? And the answer turns out to be a whole lot, you know? Um, so it's how much more will they take? I don't know. You know, almost in some like perverse sense, like I don't actually want this to happen, but almost if you could just run a simulation, I'm, I'm really kind of curious if the Democrats right now who are in power just try to take the guns, just try to take them. Like, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to run this experiment. But if you could just in like a simulation run it, I'm, I'm really curious, like red state America, would you take would you take that because you took them shutting down your churches? And that to me was the most um, like the most uh, revealing and disappointing and scary thing over this last year was that right wingers let them shut down the churches to me yep. even more so than anything. And I know that you, the, the right wingers were a little bit better than the left wingers on this stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying they weren't. But I kind of figured that I kind of figured the blue states would do whatever Trump wasn't doing and what, you know, like they'd, they'd fall in line. But the, the red states and the right wingers in this country, uh, that's where you really wonder how, how much of a spirit of freedom is there in mm -hmm. this country. And, and the thing we've always thought is like, well, they'll never give up their guns. Um, that was the big thing. But to give up the churches. That's, that's right next to it. That's yeah, you're coming right up against that. And they I mean, there was just really no meaningful resistance. I mean, there were a couple protests here or there. But there was really no meaningful resistance. And yeah, that's uh, you wonder you wonder in a way if Joe Biden and the Democrats just said, hey, yeah, you know what? Screw you. We're, we're going to take your guns. Uh, what type of resistance there would be? There has been a, a systematic effort, whether um this is like conscious or and is a plot and a conspiracy, or this is just kind of what's organically happening to some degree, perhaps a mix of both. It's almost as if the ruling elite is seeing how far they can push, humiliate and taunt the right wing in America. Like, I mean, it's almost like every little thing is it's kind of like, eh, what if we uh, how about we teach your son uh, that, that he's a chick? 
How about that? <laughs> like, what are you going to do about that? You're like, oh, you're going to you're going to groan and moan. OK, well, we'll shut down your church. We'll do that. Like every little thing. We'll tear down your statues. We'll like everything a conservative would care about. We are just robbing your culture from you. Rob, you know, and so far eh, they bitch and moan. Don't That's do about much. It. Yeah. And they did it under a Republican president, which is the yeah. craziest part. I mean, I think that's why I have such disdain for Donald Trump is because ultimately, I believe that none of this would have been allowed by the right wing had he not been in power. And I know you've kind of had a similar commentary in the past. Um, but uh, back to the other point with with the children being indoctrinated, indoctrinated. I don't know if you uh, did you read that Barry Weiss article she released a couple of days ago? No, not the recent one. OK, well, it's a it's a real uh, eye-opening deep dive into kind of the, uh, I don't know what they're called, but the the highest end uh, private schools. She did mm -hmm. interviews with parents for a bunch of these really high-end private high schools in LA and in New York. And they're like, you know, 50,000 a year tuition. And it just lays out all of the cases for how, how they're putting uh, critical race theory. And if anyone speaks up it essentially keeps their kid from having any opportunity of going to Yale or Harvard or any of these other institutions uh, which for the life of me I don't know why you would want your kid to go there but this is just what they've always done so it seems as if you know they're they want to push back I mean they they are not in line with this with this line of thinking but they've been cowed you know it's it's really um I don't know it's like it reminds me of like communist China or something it, it's so uh, along with the children being indoctrinated, I just it gives me a sense of hopelessness because normally it's the the youthful, you know, revolutionaries that really make changes. At this point, our youthful re revolutionaries are largely asking for more powerful government and telling people to shut up. Um, yeah, it's very, very strange. It's there's it's unbelievable to me how they've flipped that dynamic from its natural order where so like right so we're around the same age like i'm, I'm gonna be 38 in in the next couple months yeah I'm and um right so you feel like like the natural order of things if i'm a father pushing 40 then some 20 year old should be saying something and i'm going like whoa settle down that is <laughs> a little offensive to me and yeah. and in some ways that is the case like i don't really get new music you know, like young people's music today. I'm like, this is all trash. Like, this you're, you're not, Dave Smith is not a fan of mumble rap. I am surprised. I, it's just, it's like not even not a fan. <laughs> I don't understand how anyone could be a fan. Like, I don't even see what the appeal is. But that's exactly where things are supposed to be. Sure. I'm supposed to look at music today and be like, no, no, no. Let me show you what was really cool. This stuff from the '90s, and they're going like, yeah, yeah. But what what you have right now are these 20 year olds telling me that they're offended by what I say. <laughs> and, and there's something so strange about that. Like, what? Why do you care? Why would you care what what a 40-year-old father says? You're supposed to be like saying way more wild shit that makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, I guess they can spin that as as progress, but I see it as nothing but a regression. Um, but you're you're right that there are a lot of people who a lot of people at these these private schools. Um, and at some of the public schools, particularly in the wealthier neighborhoods where they're pushing this shit on their children, and they think it's crazy. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who are in that, you know, have kids in that situation. They all think it's crazy, but they don't have the courage to to stand up to it. 
Um, and perhaps that's prudent in some situations. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to be a martyr and it will make your life a lot tougher um, if you stand up to some of this stuff. But man, I mean, the fact that no one will, there's something very powerful about getting people to publicly say something that they know isn't true, that they know isn't, is not the case at all. You know, I had someone, I was arguing with some of the more social justice libertarian types uh, the other day um, about the transgender issue. Um, and someone said something about, they go like, why, you know, libertarians stand for trans rights. Um, and I was like, okay, um, like what rights by the libertarian conception of rights do transgender people not have mm -hmm. in our society? And, you know, that are different than everybody else. Like, yeah, they, they pay taxes too and stuff, you know, right. but like by, by our standard of rights, what, what are transgender people not allowed to do? And they start getting into all of this stuff that is just not what libertarians consider rights. You know, mm -hmm. like, well, they can, they can be discriminated against on sports teams. And I was like, yeah, but lots of people can be discriminated against on sports teams. I mean, like you right. can, you have tryouts. They only let a certain amount of people <laughs> on the team and they have boys and girls teams. So they discriminate against them based on sex. And, and so well, the Lakers and, have been discriminating against me for decades. It's really upsetting. They, yeah. There's, you got a lawsuit on your hand, <laughs> according to these libertarians, evidently. <laughs> um, but so, uh, and, and I said at one point, and it's just like watching people bend over backward to not confront the obvious truth that's in front of them. So one guy who I actually liked very much, but he said, he goes, well, you know, what's really cruel and unfair is asking trans women who have been on estrogen to compete with men in sports, which by the way, is a fair point. I mean, it, certainly, you know, like uh, testosterone, I know in the UFC, uh, testosterone replacement therapy is banned. Like you can't, it's a, it's a, like a performance enhancement to oh, take sure. testosterone. That's so I could imagine that taking estrogen would put you at a disadvantage competing against other men. However, how are you going to pretend to see that, but not see that there's a slight issue with transgender <laughs> women competing against women? Right. Like what game are we playing here? Where, like if you can see the first one, you can damn sure see the second <laughs> one too, but right. you're just going to pretend you see it. So there's a whole lot of people like pretending they only see one thing. You say, I see these, the social justice libertarian types all the time. They'll criticize right wing, you know, white racists all the time. And they'll come at you with these standard libertarian talking points that are correct. Technically, you know, well, racism is an ugly form of collectivism. We judge people as individuals, and that's why white nationalism or whatever is so terrible. Okay, yeah, you're right about that. How about the fact that Biden picked his entire cabinet based on their gender and their race and their sexual orientation? Like, maybe that's a little bit more important than the <laughs> non-existent white nationalist threat that you guys obsess over. But so they'll see things when convenient and then ignore what is clearly the major threat going on today. And I think that's kind of what's going on with these parents too. They're, they're just inserting straight up racist teaching and everyone's kind of looking the other way in the name of anti-racism. It's truly bizarre. Yeah. And it reminds me a lot of North Korea. It's like, of, did the great leader, uh, you know, play around to golf and hit all hole in ones? Of course he did. You know, you yeah. just, even though everyone knows it didn't happen, we all have to pretend. And for the few of us that are willing to not pretend, we are ostracized. And and I just, I guess the, the purpose of my show and, and people like you and others out there has been to try and 
imbue confidence in people that there are more of us out there than you believe. If you will just speak your truth, you'd be stunned. And sure, your kid may not get into Harvard, but guess what? They probably shouldn't be going there anyways. Like it's not a real benefit to your child to spend all of their years being told that their skin makes them evil and then go to a higher education or the highest of education centers and be taught that from, you know, some of the alleged smartest people on earth. Um, it just, it lays out a, uh, a recipe for disaster, but right. I, I, and well, you know what you really don't want to be. It's like, look, you don't want to be put up against a wall and shot, you know, but you really don't want to be one of the communists who helps the Bolsheviks lead the revolution and then get put up against the wall and shot anyway, <laughs> right. which is what happened to all the honest revolutionaries, you know, like all the honest ones who really wanted to do something for the, the you know, workers of, of Russia is misguided as they may have been. As soon as the as soon as Lenin took power, they were like, wait, what? This isn't what we want. And then, okay, now you're up against the wall and shot. So all of this shit, it's not going to protect you anyway, mm -hmm. uh, or at least quite possibly. So, and, and I got to say, as I'm sure you know, too, there is something so profoundly liberating and meaningful to just being a man and saying what you believe. And I don't, sorry to gender that. Women can be a part of this too. But Certainly. you know what I'm saying? Like to just say what you believe and go, hey, no, fuck it. You're not going to bully me into, into saying something that I don't mean, that we all know isn't true. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I, I think, yeah, if, if we can try to inspire more people to do that, that's, that's probably the, that's like the prerequisite for trying to get anything accomplished. Yep. And there's, and there's a tremendous amount of beauty in truth. I mean, people... I think that a, a huge part of the reason that my show's taken off, the reason you've been so successful, the reason Joe Rogan's been so successful is because you guys speak your truth. Sure, we might be wrong sometimes, but we're actually telling you what we believe. It's not bullshit. It's not fluff. We're not, you know, we're not trying to push an agenda other than, I mean, obviously you and I have an ideological agenda, um, but we're just going to be honest about it. And because we live in a society now where, where truth is suppressed so um, aggressively, it it's like it's like giving oxygen to someone who's drowning, you know, like people really feel that way. They're like, Oh, thank God. So someone else that's out here feeling how I feel that for whatever reason has the capacity to tell the truth. And uh, because I'm in a financial position where I don't have to worry about being canceled. I mean, I might be canceled one day anyways, but uh, it's, I feel like it's incumbent on, upon me, especially since I don't have kids. Like I, I need to be the sacrificial lamb and try and inspire a few other people. And I know that obviously you've made a career out of this, so you can do it regardless. Um, but have, have any of the hit pieces that have come out about you and Legion of Skanks and whatnot, have they, have they made a dent? Well, it's like one of those things where it's, um, it's kind of hard to measure um, because you, Th there's nothing specifically that I could point to and say, well, this was taken away from me because of, of, you know, certain like, you know, slanderous pieces that have been written, but certainly doors have been closed that will never be opened now. You know, like that's, that's just the new landscape of the game. Like you just can't, I mean, I've, I have a friend of mine who's a, I, I won't say, cause I don't think I'm supposed to say this, but he was straight up. He was a, he, he was like a right leaning guy. He was a, a Trump supporter. And he Comedy Central was going to give him this big gig and they called someone, another friend of mine who they know who's very good friends with him and asked them if he was a Trump supporter because they had heard about that. 
They straight up asked. They were like, is he a Trump supporter? Is this true? And that guy was smart enough to be like, no, 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 no. He's not a Trump supporter at all. And he got it. But they were basically like, oh, we will not give this to you just for being a Republican, not like some fringe, you know, no one that was accusing him of being like a Nazi sympathizer or something like that. Right. Just like you're a Republican, you can't get it. So there's no question. Tons of doors have been closed uh, for me. But I just, you know, in the spirit of what we were just saying, I, I made a decision a long time ago before anything in my career had really paid off that I, you know, it, like I, I was in the New York comedy scene and I knew being a left winger there would make things a lot easier. And I started getting these gigs at Fox News and I knew being a neocon there would make things a lot easier. And I was kind of like, oh shit, you know, I had this like little like, oh, you know, I want to be successful. And I just kind of, after thinking about it for not very long, I was like, I am just going to be me and let the chips fall where they may. And that's all I'm really good at anyway, is just being me. I don't think I'm a good actor. So I, I don't think say, I could yeah. pull this off. So I'm just going <laughs> to, you know what? That's just what I'm here for and let the chips fall where they may. And, and I'm not complaining. I've got, I've got a great career and I was able to do it my way and build up my own following and stuff. So I'm not, uh, you know, like uh, who knows, who knows what the future is going to look like, what they could try to take away from us. My guess is more will be taken away. Um, but um, I've made that decision a long time ago, and that's that's the lane I'm gonna fill. Yeah, and and at this point, let's be honest. There's no going back. You got you got too much, uh, <laughs> too many Legion of Skank episodes. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, well, I, I've made this this argument before on my show. I don't know if you've heard it, so I'll, I'll give you a, a brief background on me and then lay it out because I'd really like to hear your feedback. Um, uh, just so you know, I, I was a mortgage broker entrepreneur for the past 15 years. I started my own company seven years ago. Uh, I've brokered over $100 million in private money loans, and I'm essentially retired partially because the lockdowns kind of forced me into it, partially because I just made the decision on my own because uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have enough certainty about the collateral, the properties that I would be lending on. So uh, at this point, there's about two months of inventory. So that means that there's, there's a very small amount of supply available for people to buy. Um, and the demand is very high because interest rates are low. The, the normal amount of inventory is about six months. So that means in at the current pace of sales within six months, all of the houses would be uh, that are on the market would be sold. There are about a million homes for sale, which is not a lot across the entire country. Uh, there are 10 million loans that are in default or forbearance agreement. Do you know what the forbearance agreements are? Or, or, no. Like, okay, a forbearance agreement basically is where the lender has the right to uh, to foreclose, but they forbear. So they they okay. withhold that that power, and because the government intervened uh, with the PPP and all that stuff, they they included some clauses where the banks weren't allowed to do that. And then on top of that, there's uh, there are four million foreclosures uh, would be oh so from those ten million, say that there's there's four million foreclosures, that would be about five times the supply that's on the market today. So if, if those 10 million homes, if you only get 40% of them, which are in forbearance, end up in foreclosure, which is a pretty reasonable estimate, given that many of these people haven't made payments so, for six months. So, so just so I'm clear, so in forbearance, it basically means you haven't met your payments and the bank has the option to foreclose. So they're not doing it right now, but they could at any moment foreclose on those homes. Yes, uh, that's, that's what a forbearance is. Some of these are moratoriums where essentially they have been forbidden by the government from doing it. Right. In, in other instances, it's forbearances where the okay. bank has agreed to do so. Um, 
So currently there are about a million homes that are being built. I'm a developer, I'm building six myself. So the way I view this is that because of the hyper low interest rates, because of the moratoriums, which are keeping inventory low, uh, we have a, a huge amount of malinvestment where all these houses are being built, but no one, if interest rates, rates were to rise, no one could really afford these at these price levels. I don't know about where you're at, but in San Diego, it's insane. You know, yeah. um, So my, my analysis is that we could go from 1 million in inventory, that's how many houses are on the market today, to 6 million homes uh, for sale very, very quickly, probably within 12 to 18 months. So that's, a cr I mean, this is kind of the doomsday scenario. I'm not saying this is definitively what's going to occur. Um, but obviously, if it were to occur, you would have a, a last man to the lifeboat type situation, which would just crush prices. Um, and as prices start to decrease, uh, you could see, I mean, obviously they're going to try and do MMT. They're going to try and do all sorts of stuff. So it's, in my view, it's a race between, do we end up in a, in a an inflationary, like a hyperinflationary death spiral because the, the, uh, the Fed just prints us into oblivion, or do we have a deflationary collapse prior to that? And then we end up, uh, you know, printing our way out of it and kind of having a repeat of 0809. So have you given this any thought? I know I threw a lot at you. <laughs> yeah, well, so you probably have a, a much better understanding of this than I do. But there's there's no question that I have given a lot of thought, you know, th to the idea that once you have these moratoriums end, there, there's just no way around a, a incredible amount of pain and suffering. I mean, if you look at the numbers of how many of these small businesses have been closed permanently, well, this all represents people who are making either their rent payments or their mortgage payments. And the rent payments are just going to someone else's mortgage payment right. uh, off of this. So I, I, I think that there's a very strong argument for that. Um, honestly, I think that the, um, the deflationary collapse, if the government would just allow it to happen, would be the best thing that could happen to the country. And not to say it wouldn't be painful, it would be incredibly painful for a lot of people. But you might come out of that and be in a situation where people are actually able to afford homes again. And that right. it's not a situation where, you know, like um, I think to me, one of the most tragic things about our, our society is that, um, and I, I wish conservatives would put these pieces together, but that, you know, a 25-year-old man can't ever afford to own a home. And what happens when you have a society where a 25-year-old man can't afford to own a home? Well, he's not really uh, as likely to look to get married and have a kid, especially when he really then can't afford, you know, health care and college. And, and the reason why all these prices are so unaffordable is because of all of the government intervention into the markets. There's no reason why uh, houses should be as expensive as they are. However, you have to say, what's the likelihood... <laughs> that this comes and the government goes, all right, we'll just let these prices uh, collapse. And well, there's a whole bunch of rich people who own property. They're not gonna be very happy to see those prices collapse. And you know, the poor people who don't own property who would like to see the prices come down, I would say have a little bit less influence over the government than the rich people who own property. And so I think that this is um, the, the I, I think we're probably gonna be looking at some crazy MMT, negative interest rates, all type of Fed printing. And I do think that the, um, the inflationary outcome, hopefully not hyperinflation, is the most likely uh, outcome. Fair enough. Yeah. I, the, reason, the reason I lean towards the deflationary collapse is because obviously we had a tremendous amount of, of debt in 07, 08. And, and obviously 
it hurt the banks, you know, and they didn't stop it anyways. I mean, certainly the political di dynamic and the climate is different now. They have completely done away with the idea of fiscal sanity. They are willing yeah. to, you know, they've basically printed or borrowed five trillion over the past year. It's completely psychotic. So I'm not saying we're going to have a repeat of 0809 simply for that reason. If it weren't for that, I would be con convinced that this debt overhang was too significant and we would yeah. be we would be assured of a deflationary collapse prior. Um, the thing that gives me the most pause is that when I see, and, and I, I get in tons of trouble for this because the libertarians are so pro Bitcoin, um, but new assets kind of like the fad, the fad thing. And I know Bitcoin is a different thing, so I'm not calling it a fad, but it has all of the telltale signs of a late stage bubble. It just simply does. And and I would hate to be right. I would hate for that to be the case. I am an investor in Bitcoin, so like this, I'm not even rooting for that. I'm just saying, if you look at the stock market, we have all these people that are unemployed, and yet the stock market's at all-time highs. I mean, this, this kind of disconnect between Main Street and Wall Street doesn't usually last very long. And I don't know how you can just paper this over. Like It seems as if there has to be some sort of coming together. And if you don't, do we not end up in tremendous social discord where you have, you know, poor people literally lining up guillotines? I mean, it yeah, well, you know, right. So the, the creepiest thing about all of it, and I've I've felt since, um, you know, around 2009, 2010, I was just convinced that the next crash was coming. I'm shocked that it didn't come sooner. I, I still don't understand how these, uh, you know, and I'll give credit to him, how these geniuses were able to keep this house of cards going as long as they have, because it's really, to me, I saw like all the fundamental problems of the 2008 uh, crash were just papered over. I mean, none of these were dealt with. We no. just, the Fed just bought up toxic assets. The government cranked spending through the roof and we kept interest rates at zero for like eight years. So it's like, right. okay, that th this is just creating more malinvestment. Like this isn't solving the problem. Um, but now after the fiscal insanity of the last year and what's already just happened, I mean, they just passed the the $2 trillion uh, stimulus or $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus. Um, there is, I think that's in addition to the other five trillion. So we're looking at spending seven trillion from the federal government this year. To me, it's just a it's a guarantee at this point that it has to happen. But, you know, if you think about what some, you know, societies have been through before, no matter what the fiscal, uh, uh, you know, cliff is, you know, we could, if we were in a good place as a society, get through all of this. We really could. I mean, it might, we are so rich that we could withstand uh, this whole collapse, this whole thing falling apart. And it really still be, you know, better than 99% of human existence has been for most people. I mean, the truth is that short of a nuclear bomb going off or a volcano erupting or something like that, there is just so there are so many goddamn even in our country, which we say has been like deindustrialized and shit like that. There's so many goddamn factories in this country. There's so much knowledge in this country. The the most important capital of all. There's the human capital. You know how many engineers there are in this country with so much knowledge of how to build shit. And the, you almost can't go back to a real depression type situation, except for the fact that our culture has completely spun out of control and everybody <laughs> hates everybody and is blaming everybody. And there's nothing that holds us together. Like what my grandfather's, you know, uh, uh, 
generation was able to go through was a hundred thousand times more difficult, but they were held together in families and communities and common bonds. We have none of this. And as you, you know, alluded to with the lockdown stuff, we're just like a fat, soft, lazy society that's not prepared to sacrifice anything. And so that's the, the combination of all of it is what really concerns me. Well, you started off making me feel a lot better, and then we ended right back where we started. <laughs> yeah, that's, that couldn't last for long. Yeah, we're screwed. <laughs> well, and, and as to your point about having uh, you know, so much industrial capacity, I think you're right. I think that the, the true you know, death scenario is if you have, economically speaking, is if you have kind of a Venezuelan hyperinflationary scenario. And, and if that happens, it really doesn't matter what you can produce. If you're, I mean, I guess at that point, you, everyone floods Bitcoin, it goes to a million dollars a coin and, and we see how, how things work out, but that, that'd be great, but it's, it's unbelievable, right? Like what, if you don't have just the worst type of destructive government intervention and, and societal decay in general, human beings can get through real disaster and bounce back incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. Now look at, look at Japan and Germany after the second world war. I mean, the societies were leveled to the ground and basically built back up like, okay, you know, with, you know, help from the West. Sure. But just, just to make the point that like human beings can withstand a lot and keep moving forward. That's how we've been here for, you know, like hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. Um, but we are there, resilient. Yeah, we are resilient, but there's, these are real concerns. Yeah, no, it's, it's just so daunting. I, it's funny because I, I've been pretty optimistic over the past year. I don't know if it's just because of my show and getting to meet so many like-minded people. Um, but last night I just got overwhelmed, man. I was just thinking to myself, like we're pushing 28 trillion in debt. We'll be at 35 trillion by the end of this year, probably. Um, and, and then you have the, the social unrest, the, the, the uh, teaching of children that their you know, race is the most important thing. Just it all, it all adds up to an environment that I'm like, can't, I mean, even if we had 3%, which is what people always say, that's all we need. We need 3% of like real movers and shakers that are going to go out and do something about this. I mean, at this point, we clearly don't, we don't have yeah. 3%. So it's well, like, no, we don't. Who do, how do we inspire them? Well, that is, so there's two schools of thought on this, right? And um, I, I'm, I'm torn between the two. So there are the people, so I completely reject the collapsitarian worldview that like just bring it all on. Um, but there is some argument to it, which would like from my perspective would be like, well, look, the, the, the whole Peter Schiff uh, analogy, which I do think is somewhat correct, right? And this is actually uh, Mises wrote about this as well. But um, the idea that the recession is the healthy part, that the boom is actually the unhealthy part in the same way that the hangover is actually, even though you feel really shitty during the hangover and you feel really great when you're drunk, the hangover is the good part. That's the yeah. healthy part. That's your body getting rid of all these toxins. That's, mm -hmm. your, that's your body cleansing itself, right? The, the problem was the artificial boom, the getting drunk. That's, mm -hmm. that's what was actually bad. And in many ways, I feel like we are not just due for this, this recession or depression, but that, that we're owed it. We deserve it. We don't, we, we have, you know, the really, I hold the baby boomer generation more responsible than anyone else, but these motherfuckers have gotten rich off their grandchildren, off borrowing off their grandchildren's names off, and, and doing nothing other than owning homes. You know, I mean, like 
That's you deserve to have all of that stripped away from you. And if I, if we were going to have a big crash, I would much rather, you know, just for selfish reasons, uh, I have a two-year-old. I'd rather have it now survive it and get past it and have her be able to enter into some type of real economy and life and society um, rather than, you know, kick the can down the road and have it be that much worse when she's 18 or something like that, you know? Exactly. Um, But on the other side, the flip side to that, you go, if we could buy a little bit of time, maybe we can get our numbers up. Mm -hmm. And so there's a strong argument for that as well. I'm really, I'm not completely sure which side of that I fall on. I I could only, the problem with the collapsitarian argument or the suffer it, you know, let's get it over with and suffer it now is you may not make it. Mm -hmm. And again, as someone who's got a daughter, I'm not willing to take that risk unless I absolutely have to. So that's, that's the struggle. And there's no, uh, there's no assurance that in this current environment with these level of indoctrinated people, we build back to anything that's better. You know, just because you get rid of the debt overhang doesn't mean that all of our societal ills are, are alleviated. It's just not that simple. And, and also, there's an argument to be had that perhaps the, the level of debt that we are in, you know, you described it as kind of like needing the hangover to get, to get well. Are we... Are, have we taken heroin for so long that getting off of it, or have we been yeah. drunk for so long that getting off of it gives us the DTs and we die? You know, yeah, like that is possible. That, <laughs> that, yeah, that is possible too. And at that point, you actually don't want to just cold turkey get off it. Exactly. You need to kind of wean yourself up. So you, that might be right as well. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fine line, and we got to find balance to it. So, um, well, I, I want to get a little bit less serious because I know this has been fairly dire. Uh, can you give me your favorite comedy memory? Oh, shit. Favorite comedy memory. A person I mean, you met, I performance you had, something like that. You know, I'd probably say, um, I mean, if it was just like my favorite, I mean, there's so many over the years, but I guess I guess shooting my uh, my special Libertas, that was to me like, you know, that that was it, it was really cool. Um, it was the, my first hour that I ever put out there and I filled the theater with like my people and just it was just like uh, the after party was so much fun. And that was really cool. And and so that would probably be like if I had to pick one memory, you know, my favorite. But um, no, there's been there's been a whole lot of wild, <laughs> a lot of wild and fun, fun ones throughout the years. I know, man, it's uh, your, your lifestyle has been envious for sure to me. Um, <laughs> uh, besides besides obviously your family, what is I mean, and besides the hour special, what is the greatest achievement of your career, either in the political commentating realm or or in comedy? Um, well, OK, so the greatest achievement of my career would probably be um, uh, going on Ron Paul's show. To me, that was that was like that was the height of it. Like I was like, oh, if I did that, like that, if you had told me at the very beginning, you know, that that was that was it, you'd make it there and then it's all over. I'd be like, that's that's fucking worth it. You know, like just to to get on that guy's show would and 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 have him kind of like knight me and, and be like, you know, just so supportive of what I do. To me, that was, you know, like the ultimate um, Rogan was my, you know, that's my like Johnny Carson. That's like a bang the, moment, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the, you know, like back in the day in, in stand-up comedy, it used to be like the, the height in comedy, the highest level you could achieve was getting on Carson. And then if he like called you over to the to the couch, yep. that was like his thing. Like you do your stand-up and then you just sit there like an asshole and wait <laughs> to see if he wanted to call you over. And he'd either just say like, all right, thank you. And go on with, or he would call you over and like 
talk yeah. to you for a minute. And with Rogan, it was always like, you know, he'll do like a couple hours, but if he likes you, he'll go that third hour yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've done it, I think five times now. And every time it's been, you know, we, we go the max amount of time that we can. <laughs> and it, so him being, being knighted by him, like in the comedy world, that was the highest achievement. And in the libertarian world, the Ron Paul thing was the highest achievement. So those were like my, my best moments. Well, uh, I am I am currently living one of my dreams, so I appreciate you doing that. Uh, oh, I, thank you. That's very I, kind of you. That's that's how I feel with uh, with Ron Paul as well. I, and that's probably why I love you so much because we see things so similarly. Like for me, Ron Paul would be my my mecca. You know, I go go there and pray to yeah. the guy, and he seems like such a sweet man too. So I hope I get to meet him before he's his, his everything, fails. dude. I I talked to him for probably like two hours outside of the show like an hour before the show and then an hour after the show where we were just me him and daniel mcadams were in his office just talking for a while and, and then i interviewed him on on my show once after that as well but uh he is just everything you think he is is who <laughs> ron paul is there's not one inch of him that isn't just the guy you always knew he was he's that guy yep. just the country baby doctor like that's <laughs> who he is he is completely genuine and everything he's just like the sweetest smartest uh, you know older man you you could imagine and uh he's you know like there's no there's no secret to meeting him or what Ron Paul's like behind the scenes. He's just, he is what you see is what you get. And that's why we all love him. Yeah, no, he's, he is amazing. He's a legend. Uh, we need a hell of a lot more of him. That's for sure. Um, so, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna assume that you're going to be the president in 2024 and I'm going to, I'm going to proposition you and say, okay, could you envision any role for me uh, in terms of helping with your campaign? Uh, I just to be to totally blunt with you, I, I feel the same way about you as I did about Ron Paul uh, 15 years ago. I would drop everything in my life to go and assist and see what we could do with this thing. Um, do you, well, I guess, first off, are you seriously considering it? Have you made a decision? And, and if so, will you be looking for, uh, you know, some, shit posting savages to come assist i've um you know i'll i'll tell you that it's been something that um some people who you could probably guess who they are have been really pushing me uh toward doing it i've put out a few uh floaters about you know thinking about it um right. but i haven't made a decision yet i just i i really don't know and there's there's a lot of moving pieces and things i'd have to you know figure out to decide but uh you'll you'll be one of the first to know if okay. i uh, if I, I if i decide to do it Appreciate it, brother. Um, and then, and oh. by the way, just to say on this, I'd only do it. Um, you know, I, I would be happy to not do it if there was any. If, if someone would be better at it and just do it, it's just so frustrating <laughs> to watch. As you know, there, there's only so much you can do when you sit back and go, "Look, I know how we should be doing this and that and this," and like no one's listening. And then, you know, to just be like, all right, well, someone who knows how to do this to some degree has to give this a shot. So I, I, I promise that I will make sure that somebody who we can all really be proud of will be doing this. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, uh, I'm in the same boat. Like I basically, I don't have any real political aspirations. I just was so damn frustrated by the LP during lockdowns. Uh, and I mean, just for the past year, but even longer than that, if I'm being honest, 
Uh, but particularly during the last year, they just failed me in such an egregious manner that I was like, I'm going to fucking get involved now. Like, I can't believe that you guys are pulling me off the sideline, a guy who didn't have any interest in doing any of this. Um, but yeah, if, if it's not you, I, I just, I, I pray that we can actually uh, have someone that, that is a true, uh, I don't want to say a true libertarian, but just someone who's, who really speaks uh, from the heart and goes hard. Like that's really what I want because ultimately it's not about winning. And I think that most people recognize that. So I wanted to ask you, do you have an update on the Mises caucus takeover? Uh, what, what is, what is there that we can do for you? And also, you know, is there any progress that you can actually inform my audience of? Well, look, I mean, I think that the, what we need to do right now, right. Is we, we need to get as many people who have that uh, like mentality of like I'm on the sidelines to join and and I like we really need people to join and we need people who are going to become delegates and uh, we need people who are really going to join and get active in their local parties and we need to get Angela McArdle to be the chair that is that is the next most important thing that we can do to like to save the country it's the most important thing that will send an absolute message. And, and as far as the, the takeover, you know, thing goes, it's like, I, I'm not trying to have any, like, I don't want any fights that we don't need to have mm -hmm. within the libertarian party. But the truth is that I think there's a whole lot of people within the libertarian party who are going to be really psyched that reinforcements are coming. Mm -hmm. And that all of, cause the truth is like within the libertarian party, there are people who just do like, enormously difficult, thankless work. And they're doing all of that for nothing right now. And I think that those people will be really excited that they, they can be a part of something, mm -hmm. something that actually means something and, and not something where we're, you know, um, desperate for a little bit of corporate press respectability. And we want to get, we really want to get 3% instead of 1%, like fuck 3%, fuck 1%. Who cares about any of that? What we want to do is change the world. What we want to do is, is inspire a revolution. And of course, we're not going to win the White House anytime soon, but that's irrelevant. Who cares about political power? That's not what we're about. We oppose political power to begin with. What we care about is introducing people to these ideas, changing people's lives. Just like everybody I know who's a libertarian has had these ideas change their lives and, so, and, and have a huge impact and, and, and give them like meaning and purpose in a way that they didn't have without these ideas. So right. why can't we do that for a lot more people? And, yep. and as we were saying before in this, you know, people are drawn to courage and authenticity. Like that's, that's what draws people in. They're, they're not drawn to, you know, weakness or, or phoniness or, or, or just kind of like, you know, people who just don't have that type of spirit. So that's, that's what we need to get serious about. But right now, what we need people to do is join the Libertarian Party. And I promise you this, although I'm not making any announcements right now, <laughs> I promise you, if you fucking join and get active and help us do this thing, you will not be disappointed with where this all ends up going. All right. I'm going to wink and a nod. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, man. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to be fleeing California for greener pastures. I'm going to get an RV and just travel the country. Uh, I'll probably see you at Freedom Fest. I just got my media Fuck pass. Yeah. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so I'm going to, but during that trek, 
I'm going to try and figure out which state that didn't have harsh lockdowns that that uh, appeals to me and and hope that I can find another home. And it's heartbreaking because I'm born and raised here, man. Like I, I have hundreds of friends in San Diego and it's just it's just tragic. But I, I really feel that the state of California in particular is is one that's just it's set up to kill small businesses. And um, as a small business person, I don't have a home here anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. And then wherever I, wherever I end up, I'm basically declaring, you know, right now, I will absolutely be involved in the Mises caucus there and um, you know, become a delegate and everything else. So let's, let's hope Um, I'm, I'm I'm about halfway through uh, Scott Horton's new book, enough already time to end the war on terrorism. I'm curious, first off, have you finished it? And, and what are your takeaways? I mean, Obviously, most of it's not new information to people like you and I, but um, man, what a concise just demolition of the interventionist policies that we've had over our lifetime, huh? Yeah. So I, I finished it a while ago. Scott sent me like before the the book oh, was nice. released, he sent me like the PDF of it. Um, so I finished it. You know, I read the whole thing on my uh, on my computer, which I hate doing. I hate reading entire <laughs> books on, on the computer. But I, you know, when Scott Horton sends you his book, you read his goddamn book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know what it was is that so this was uh, it, it was perfect. It was it's Scott Horton's masterpiece, essentially. So Scott, Scott was supposed to write this book. And this book became fool's errand, because in classic Scott Horton fashion, he started writing the Afghanistan chapter. And then before he knows that the Afghanistan chapter is like, you know, he's like, well, I'm up, you know, I'd be talking to him during this thing. I'd be like, how's the book going? You know, and he'd be like, well, the Afghanistan chapter is about 180 pages, you know, so far. <laughs> and you're like, oh, Jesus, Scott, like, no, this is not, this isn't a book on the terror wars anymore. Now this is a book on Afghanistan. So at a certain point he realized, all right, shit, this is just a book on Afghanistan. So I, I got to just finish that because I've put all this into it. So he wrote that book first. Then I think he attempted to write it again. And, and also it was going too long. And he ended up just throwing it out this time. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going to force myself to write the, this, this book where it is Scott Horton forcing himself to condense everything. Because if, if you know Scott and you read the book, you know every chapter in that book could be its own book. Oh, he sure. could write his own book on that. And Scott could do it just off fucking memory because that's <laughs> how he is. So he could just write this whole thing. Um, but he forced himself and he got it all down and, and no, it wasn't, the book wasn't a mostly new information, although there certainly was some in there for me, like things like even as somebody who's such a fan of Scott's and and follows all of his work and, and is pretty, you know, well aware of this stuff, there, there was stuff in there. Um, particularly in the Somalia chapter. Uh, so there's stuff in there though. It's like, oh, I didn't know this. And uh, there was new information, but what he really did was put it all together for you mm-hmm. to really say, Hey, even most people kind of know, even if they don't know all the details of this, they know that all these things happen, but let me put this together for you in a book. So you can actually see what's going on here. Look at American foreign policy from 1979 to 2020. And, and tell me if you can't see that just there's this undeniable case that we blew everything. And then particularly in the response to 9-11, or this is really so much. And, and you know, it's easy to feel like the, um, the lockdowns and the culture war and all of the stuff we're dealing with today is, is disconnected from all of that. But it's all so related. Yep. It's really all about the fact that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney blew the 21st century. And I think that this book is the most devastating case um, for that. 
So I just, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And what's so amazing about it to me is that it's like, now you have this one piece that you can say to people, okay, I understand you can't be an expert in all of this. Read this book and you've got what you need on foreign policy. You really, you have everything you need. If you just read enough already, you're going to be, you're, you're caught up to speed and you're, you're ready to, you could win a debate against any CNN anchor out there. If you just read this, but read it twice, if you need to, to really get it in your head. But like, this is the piece. This is the most important book to read right now. Yep. I'm about halfway done. And I regret deeply that I didn't read it before the neocon debate. Cause I could have fucking killed that kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, that was a rough one. I listened to that whole thing, <laughs> but I still, I still did an okay job, but I just, no, you uh, did great. It just, it just would have been, uh, so, I mean, I could have had so many more details because m- much of it, you know, you hear through the ether, you, you read it over decades. Now I've been reading this shit. So it's like, you just don't have it kind of at the top of your head to, to hammer someone with, but man, I'm uh, halfway through this book and I'm like, Oh God, I want to debate this kid again. I have so much more to add. But you know what? You did a good job. You played, I thought you played it just right in terms of like trying to really, like you tried to not just bash him over the skull. And then at times you did when, right. it, you know, like that's kind of like the the dance to all of this because what you what you end up I, doing I is, him. <laughs> well, yeah, but you open people up. You let them be like, okay, here, because, you know, it's almost like if you just come out too, you know, like aggressive, you close people off and they, they're, you know, whereas you opened him up enough to really kind of say what he felt. I, my favorite part of the whole thing was at one point when you gently, but basically compared him to a Nazi <laughs> and said, well, like, what's really the difference between you and, and a Nazi in terms of this, like, you know, wanting like kind of this global domination and all of this. And he went, well, no, because it's We're good. basically, well, he goes, well, it's basically, he goes, it's not um, racial based. <laughs> so it's not hierarchical in that sense. And it was like, oh, so you're a commie. Okay, great. So great. So you corrected the right. It's like, wait, he goes, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, I want global domination, but like in an egalitarian way. Right. Oh, that's right. And by the way, that is what they are. That's yep. that's what the, the neocons are. They're not Nazis. They're commies. They're, they, and yep. they all came from commies. They were all a bunch of Trotskyites. Yep. And they still believe in this shit. They still, it, the, the underlying premises are all the same as the communists that's that's what they are so it's it was it was really revealing and it was it was interesting although i will acknowledge it was infuriating at yes points. well imagine how i felt I, I had to had to you know pretend to to really care what he had to say i mean I, honestly i did care because I, I wanted to understand his worldview and and moreover i really wanted to try and reach his audience which is very small but if i can if i can dissuade you know two neocons from supporting sure. fucking the next war on terror or the next war on the homeland, which is what it looks like we're headed towards. I was like, it's all worth it if that if that's what happens. Yeah. And, and I knew that because my buddy Ace had been just eviscerating these guys on Twitter for the past two weeks, they don't have any shame. So there was no point yeah. in me really shaming him. I, I had to go in with an open heart and try and make kind of the, the emotional appeal to get them to reconsider. Like, is all of the human cost worthwhile? I mean, yeah. you're... You, your belief system is really, really damaging people. Have you considered that? And I hope that a few of them did. Isn't it so fascinating in this sense that, you know, like there's a lot of people um, who are very, um, very atheist, agnostic leaning people who still kind of believe in karma. You know what I mean? Like they kind of have that, like there are a lot of just like even left winger atheist types will tell you that like, well, I believe in karma, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and, and, 
whether karma exactly exists or not, there are these karmatic forces in the world that are very hard to deny sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so you could even look at something like, you know, you could just have a very, you know, libertarian, uh, you know, uh, analysis of like the civil war and say that, well, look, I, I don't think that, you know, the, the war was really fought over slavery and Lincoln, you know, conscripted all these people, which were basically enslaving a bunch of people to go fight and die in these wars and look at Sherman's March and look at that. And they're all great points. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And the fact that, you know, even the Emancipation Proclamation didn't even free the slaves in the North. I mean, Lincoln didn't even care to free the slaves under his jurisdiction. He just freed his enemy slaves to rise up and fight against them. And so this is put out there by the, the mainstream as if this was some noble thing. But no, of course, it wasn't. But in a whole different sense, you know, look, the, the Southern culture was in many ways based around the most horrific anti-liberty institution in the history of the country, uh, just enslaving other human beings and claiming them as your own property, working them to death, snatching their children. I mean, they're the most like horrible shit you could imagine. And then they have this war where they're like burned to the ground. And it does almost feel like there's something related to karma about mm -hmm. all of that, right? Like you just, yeah, you, you committed this goddamn sin against humanity and you had to pay. There's mm -hmm. some Old Testament shit about it, mm -hmm. you know, whether, whether you think this was actually an act of God or not or whatever. Um, but I will say there is really something to the fact that when the war on terror is turned inward toward America, who are they going after? The people who voted for Bush and Cheney. That is who they are targeting. And, and there's something about that that's just really fucking powerful. Mm -hmm. And like, you you know, I'm, again, I'm not supporting it. It's wrong. And I hope they don't. I don't want to see like Old Testament justice served. Right. But it's hard to deny that like, okay, yeah, there are like, you know, 20 year olds who support Trump who had nothing to do with Bush and Cheney. But if you look at Trump's rallies, most of them ain't 20. <laughs> and most of them are Republicans. Yeah. And I bet you they were supporting Bush and Cheney. Oh, yeah. And they, were, they were cheering on these terror wars. And now look at it. Those same people who you put in power are now have completely thrown you under the bus. You you have these people like um, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, who was George W. Bush's um, uh, communications director. And she's like, we got to go after these Trump supporters. And we got to use, you know, we got to use all these weapons from the Department of Homeland Security to go after these Trump supporters. And you're like, motherfucker, those were your supporters. Those are the people who put you in power, who supported you creating the Department of Homeland Security. Right. And man, it's like the it, it, it's just there's something to it to go like, holy shit, what a bitter form of karma to come back on you guys now. So, yeah, if you can convince one neocon. To not support just for their own self-preservation, right? To not support this shit for their own it's, soul. It's worth your time, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's funny too because as you were talking about that, it made me think about the the karmic realignment that occurs for any imperial power that that uses all of its blood and treasure in in conquering poor countries across the globe and eventually collapses themselves. It's almost as if there's a an economic mechanism to karma 
where like yeah. if you if you borrow and spend and you blow up enough people, eventually it comes for you, whether or not you end up having the uh, military industrial complex turn itself against you or if it just comes against you, uh, you know, through financial means. It's sure it's kind of unavoidable. That's a that's a great analysis, man. I uh, I, I should have expected nothing less. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll get you out of, out of here on this as a Legion of Skanks fan as well. I, I had one of my buddies. Uh, at Cholera Fan on Twitter, <laughs> give me, uh, you know, probably the stupidest question I could ask you. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, he said, <laughs> he says that if you were alone with Ron Paul and Ron was about to give a speech to become the president of the United States and he was really nervous and he turns to you and he says, Dave, BJ's really relaxed me. Do you call his wife first or do you just or not his, but yours, or do you just assume that she would understand and handle the business to get us some freedom in our fucking lifetimes? <laughs> oh man, how far is Carol? Where is Carol in this situation? <laughs> I feel like Carol's never that far away. I'm just going to duck out of this question by saying she's always right there. She's baking cookies or something. She's doing something sweet. This is a non-starter. Ron Paul, such a good man like Ron Paul would never he would never. Did you ever see Ron, uh, Ron Paul? Um, I cannot believe the I just Borat. Had to do that. <laughs> do you remember the Borat thing? Oh yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you see that? Yeah. Borat tried to, and and it's almost like this moment where you you go. Even though Ron Paul is the most libertarian human being on the planet, you realize he was also born in the thirties, <laughs> right? You know, he's like still, he's he's still put off by Borat. <laughs> he's still. And Borat goes and he goes, ah, this sick queer. I should have punched him right in the chops. <laughs> like he almost started talking like like thirties tough guy. Like he's like, ah, it's wise guy. I ought to crack him one right in the chops. So there's my dodge out of the question. Per perfectly handled, sir. Very. You are ready for American politics uh, <laughs> anyways you guys can catch dave he's at comic dave smith on twitter part of the problem legion of skanks anything else you'd like to tell the people about Nah, man that's that's all of it right there i'm gonna i'm gonna be speaking at the uh the new jersey uh state libertarian convention and uh pork fest and freedom fest this year and uh, i hope to see you there at, uh, at freedom fest i'll be there for the whole time so we'll definitely hang me, me too brother i'll be i'll be on media row so can't wait thank you so much it uh, honestly it was Maybe the treat of my life, uh, at least in, in terms of politics. So I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, well, that's very kind, and I, I really enjoyed it. Let's do it again sometime, brother. Appreciate it, man. Well, you can check that off my bucket list, huh? Woo! Good Lord. That was so much fun. Can't believe that that happened. Anyways, uh, very big news. I have a merch store. <laughs> Gotta try and monetize this bad boy a little bit. Um, you can go to Teespring, so T-E-E-Spring.com backslash liberty dash lockdown dash podcast and you will be able to find shirts with some pretty sick logos that my boy top loss came up with and uh, and they are beautiful and i'm not charging a whole lot i'm not trying to make you know real profit off this thing i just want to get the word out about the show and if you support the show if you love the show um obviously if you pick one up and you you know post about it or stuff like that i will uh will definitely show some love to you and I really, really do appreciate all the support I've been getting. It has been uh, a dream of mine, and I couldn't have done any of this without you guys, as I've said a thousand times. And I just really want to double down on my appreciation. I am, I am filled with joy at, at the great people I get to speak to, all the great people I've, get, I've got to, uh, to get to know from doing this. It's, it's just absolutely thrilling. And uh, if you use code LIBERTY, you will get 10% off. It's 
just trying to, like I said, I'm really not trying to make money off this. I, I just want to you know, spread the show as far as I can and grow it. And it is growing exponentially, uh, all because of you guys. This upcoming month, we have an unbelievable lineup. Uh, tonight, I am on Run Your Mouth with Robbie the Fire. And then after that, I'm on uh, Call Me Ignorant with Stephen Ignoramus. So check that out. It's a live stream. And then uh, I also have Liberty Doll sometime next week. She's a huge YouTube star. Uh, God, David uh, Gorowski should be next Wednesday. Carrie Wedler uh, at some point, I think probably Wednesday night. Uh, then I'll be doing a debate again with someone else on Lev's show. And what else? I'll be on Reed Coverdale's show, The Naturalist Capitalist, on the 23rd. Hannah Cox that, uh, that day as well, it looks like. Scott Horton on the 24th. Then we have Vin Armani coming in to talk about his new book. Couldn't be more excited about that. Uh, and then I also have, for the next month, Pete Quinones lined up, Olivia, Maggie. And then I am just confirmed for Hotep Jesus on April 8th. It's, I mean, this is just ridiculous. If I can't, if I can't get you guys to subscribe after this, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, this is banger after banger. These are freaking legends and it's going to be so much fun. I couldn't have done it without you guys. Thank you so much, Travis, Elise, Liz, my family, everyone that's been supporting me as I've gone on this journey, all of my followers, all of my supporters, everyone who shared the show, everyone who's been on the show. Good God, the unbelievable coalescing of brilliance that has experienced around this this silly little podcast incredible it just blows my mind every day i wake up and i can't believe it that's the truth so thank you guys continue to support share uh leave five star reviews you know do it man big shout out to everybody that's been with me since jump street appreciate y'all World premiere. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical fappening. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on. Which podcast sends custom songs? Part of the problem, now I stand with the people. Dave showed the way, but I am unequal. Lions and Liberty now hear me roar. Beat running up, but I got a bit more. Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth, but I made him a sandwich. Now I'm man of the house. No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit. I went over BLM with the fire I spit. Friends against government, just call us fags. Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag. Allowable opinions get thrown on the ground. Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound. Getting so hot, must be Air July. Screaming in the mic, the rip of 59. Miles to Ray showed that black guns matter. Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders. None of us wanted war, but we're ready. You know I be bopping and Welcome rock steady. Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're right with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Let's get into the show.